I can't live with myself if I don't bet my life on what I believe. And so I'm at a place where I'm, I think it's time. Mm. Like it's time to believe that where I am today is where I'm supposed to be. Yes. And that if I continue to play it safe in my career and income and provision for our family, then that means I will, I will be not honoring myself mm. and I can't live with that. Mm. So I'm, launching into no man's land, mm. believing that what I see on the horizon is worth going after. The best things in life take time. Friends, this is Morgan, and welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. When we look at the text of nature, really the first text that was meant to inform the human soul, it reminds us that the best things in life take time. There's a way things work that slow and steady does win the race, not just for turtles, but for the human soul. I have been sharing this journey of becoming, becoming the kind of person to whom God would gladly entrust the care of his kingdom with like-hearted allies. And it started decades now ago. And one of the earliest sojourners or pilgrims in this adventure was Aaron McHugh. He is part of my core tribe. And we have bled together and sweated together and laughed together. And we've had a lot of touch points along the way to just mark the trail of becoming. Aaron hosts the Work-Life Play podcast where he helps people discover a path to a well-lived life, to help people find meaning and purpose. And we have similar callings and similar giftings, but we work in a very different space. Um, God has led me to work more in a Christ-centered nonprofit space for my years. And He's led Aaron to work very much in a corporate environment. And Aaron was in a transition and also a celebration of uh, the 100,000 downloads of his podcast. And this was two years ago. And so I said, Aaron, I've got an idea. What if I host your podcast and interview you as a chance to ask you some questions that are on my heart, to feature you on your very own podcast, and to celebrate this benchmark in your story? And so we did that. And just last week, Aaron sent me the podcast from two years ago, and he said, Morgan, you got to listen to this. And in light of the miles that we've traveled over the last two years, and in light of what God did in Aaron's story over the last two years, the meaning of what was captured in that podcast was exponential. And I listened and laughed and celebrated God and the reminder of his prevailing goodness, the reminder of his strength, the reminder of his intention over our lives. And so I loved listening to the podcast. And what I realized was it was a chance to have a snapshot of path and process, that we get these snapshots that feel like they're static in time, but in fact, they're capturing a narrative, they're capturing a chronology, they're capturing a process that happens and only happens through time. And so 
I felt compelled to turn to that content from the interview I hosted on work-life play of Aaron and use it as an opportunity to see the fruit, to see what happens when we bet our life on God. What happens when we risk believing what's true about who we truly are? What happens when we begin to relate to ourselves the way God relates to us, always relating to the person that we are and have yet to become? So friends, it's a joy to invite you behind the scenes in an intimate conversation between Aaron and me. I hope you enjoy this. Today, Aaron McHugh is the guest of the Work Life Play podcast. Aaron, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> oh, today is a cause for celebration. You know, in this world, and we put our heads down and we just grind it out. And one of the practices that's so easy to lose in these days is the practice of celebration. You know, we have so much goodness in our life, but we end up focusing on the negatives and focusing on the not yet. And what we focus on grows. And we wanted to pause and celebrate a monumental benchmark, both in your story of the season you're in and in the story of your life being expressed in work-life play. Tell us about it. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago for you, the listener, my podcast, Work-Life Play, we hit 100,000 cumulative downloads over time. So after I looked at it after five years, you know, every month, every week, every day, there's I don't pay attention to it a lot, but every month when I go to look at the end of the month, I say, okay, great. Well, how many downloads do we have this month? Well, then there's a cumulative and I realize, oh my gosh, it's like 100,000. Like, that's a big deal. I, I should probably tell somebody about that because it's nothing anyone else would ever see. Yes. Something public. And so I told my wife first, told Leith and said, hey, I think this is kind of a big deal. She's like, it's a totally big deal. So then I reached out to you, Morgan, and then our two other mates, John, Dale, and Alex Burton, and said, guys, I, I don't know how to celebrate this, but I know that my tendency would be just to move past it, and I'll just mention it over a beer a few months from now. So I don't want to do that. I want to somehow make a big deal out of it. Would you help me? And then Justin Lucas Savage, who helped me co-host the first two podcasts, I also reached out to him and just said, hey, would you be willing to help maybe co-host another one. Yes. You know, so 135 episodes later mm. and 100,000 downloads feels like, I think this is something that will fleet quickly if I don't stop down and celebrate it. Because like you said, it can be easy to focus on what you haven't accomplished yes. or what you hope to accomplish. But right now I just want to Yahoo for a bit and wanted to have you do it with me. That's phenomenal. Thank you for inviting me to be here. Yeah. Man, we've done just a lot of miles, a lot of life together. Uh -huh. how, how many years has it been that we've been well, mucking Joshua, through all this? So Joshua's 13? Yep. So 13 years. 13 years. Yeah. Man, plowing through the dailies mm -hmm. of, of, of what it looks like to try to grow as men and to find the work we love and play, as you say, and fine life, like real life, abundant life. And we're sitting 13 years on the other side of it. And I, I just want to say it works. Yeah, it works. Right. It does work. Yeah. Well, and what's fun for you, the listener to hear from Morgan is that Morgan is the unquoted resource for most of my podcasts and writings of 
Sometimes I'll say, oh yeah, this buddy of mine, or sometimes I'll say, wow, this friend of mine, Morgan. So this is the Morgan that you've heard about. And from everything from when we both were in Hawaii at different times, learning to play from the same guy to us raising kids together, to us having our respective marital challenges in different seasons and just doing life together and really being both invited and sometimes what feels like maybe haunted that our, we really want our life to matter yes, and to be about substance and meaning. And it becomes really inconvenient at times because we could just go off and make it our life about making money or right. make it about other things, but that doesn't satisfy either yes. of us very well. So we end up doing these things on a Monday morning, mm. you know, bright and early before the rest of our world kicks off. Yes. Well, I think, Aaron, one of the things we've discovered is we're life seekers and we want life and we want life to the full and the life that we want, we can't do alone. And one of our shared mentors said to us years ago, to find like-hearted kings living in the same direction and sign treaties. Yeah. And when they are at war, you are at war. Yeah. And those words really grabbed us when we heard that. And the implications are you can't fight, you know, a multi-front war. And so you can only have a few. And the implications are it's mostly about cost and sacrifice on behalf of someone you love. And yet that's where life is found. And so we were and are like-hearted young kings, as you said, with wives and kids and careers. And we want to be wholehearted men, intact men with integrity, mm. where we have a good name mm -hmm. that cannot be done alone. And so it's just good to have treaties with you. And it's good to have a moment of celebration now rather than battle. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's good. Aaron, as I just pondered this time together, the terms that were coming to me to frame looking back is then and now, because over 13 years in this world, that's a long time. And there's been a lot of transformation. And I feel like one of the benefits I have is I've traveled all this with you. So a lot of those listeners, they, they experience the fruit of the hard work. Yeah. But, you know, as, <laughs> as one guy said, it, it takes a lot of crap to make good soil. Yeah. And I've lived through the crap. You've lived through my crap. I've lived through yours. And I want to take a journey a little bit down memory lane. Yeah, good. And the then and now. I suppose in some ways, it's good to start with your marriage. And you got married as a little kid in college, barely, yeah. to a beautiful gal that had really cute shorts and she owned a climbing harness. True. And next thing you know, you put a ring on her finger and you got in an old crappy car and drove to Colorado with $26 to your name. Yeah. Take me back there. Yeah. This hot girl who's still my <laughs> wife and will be 24 years married wow. here in two months. She did wear really short shorts and you were volunteers for Young Life with high school kids. And yeah, she was puzzling to me. So I married her and I'm still happy that I did. We moved to Colorado to work for a summer camp, basically for high school kids. And I was convinced, and I think this is a theme I can see now, the threads through my life and career is just really convinced that work is supposed to be something you're jacked about. Work is supposed to be something that you actually pour yourself into. 
versus it being something that just sucks life out of you, that it should be a give and a take. So we moved to Colorado to work this mountain camp at 9,200 feet and take kids in the backcountry with backpacks a week at a time. And I was an assistant ranch manager dragging around a toolbox with a guy who actually knew how to use the toolbox. I just (laughs) drug the toolbox around. And then we, at the end of the summer, it didn't work out for us to um, stay on and work for that property. And so we moved to Colorado Springs and we had raised support for that summer to be there at that camp and didn't have any income. So we rolled into town, actually used a cattle truck called Mm. John Wayne's Horse Mm. to move our belongings from Southern Colorado to Colorado Springs. And we had to our name, something like $26 and I started selling tents and backpacks, kind of like at a REI, like local shop, mm. and had to wait two weeks to get our first paycheck. We lived with a family and slept on some bunk beds, and uh, they let us stay rent free until we could afford to get into our our first like mm. you know, first months down, you know, <laughs> down payment in an apartment here in town. Newlyweds in bunk beds. Bunk beds. Yeah, Aaron, we're like four months married. Yeah. What strikes me, Aaron, is like work life play. And when when I name work-life play, I'm naming that as kind of the mythic reality of all that's truly you, uh-huh. right? You're the expression of who you most truly are. Mm-hmm. That was all in you back then. Yeah. The seeds were there and most of them were dormant and a few were starting to germinate, right? Mm-hmm. So you come to Colorado Springs and you jump into sales and now decades of sales in every expression imaginable and but those seeds were there. So I want to go to a low point. <laughs> this story. Which one? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot. But uh, the, you told me this on a bike ride years into our friendship. And I thought I had a grasp of your world because we have similar hearts, similar gifting, similar passions expressed in really different contexts. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked. So you're in sales at the time. You're selling time on a radio. So if if you don't really understand that, watch City Slickers and uh, Career Day with with Mitch Robbins. Mitch the kid. And um, you're selling time on the radio. And so it's an early weekend day in the office. Mm. Take us there. Let's see. That would be, let's say late 90s. And I was, I was selling air. So airtime to local advertisers. And that was everything from bars in nightclubs, to liquor stores, to insurance agents, to, you know, car dealers or whatever it was. I spent a lot of my Saturdays in the place called Motor City, which is this big, long strip of car dealers. And I'd show up there from 10 to 1 on the weekends to do these live remote broadcasts where you'd babysit the DJs and hand out pizza and uh, free CDs <laughs> to listeners who would come by. Because you know what it was? It was like, we're broadcasting live now. Motor City, come on down. Oh. And so I was the sales rep who sold those. And I would go, it was kind of like an insurance policy by my presence to be there to make sure that the DJ didn't say anything that would muck it up. Yes. And they were largely great, but there was occasionally, you know, just some big personalities that required some finesse with the client. So on <laughs> during the week, though, you're in the sales office and we had shared computers at the time. And so I remember I had this Apple laptop, but in order to print, to go have a, a pitch that morning or whatever, I needed the printer. So I was there super early, like let's say 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning or something like that before any of the other staff was there. 
and it was probably this time of year, so it was dark. And all of a sudden, this gal comes rapping on the glass, kind of the you know office window, and she's rap, 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 <laughs> knocking. And I'm like, why is the deal? She's like, hey, open up, open up, come over here. And so I walk over and I'm like, what, what, what's the deal? You know, how can I help you? And she's like, well, the DJs on this radio station here, you know, they said if you'd come and show your boobs to, <laughs> to them in the glass, uh, you'd win free concert tickets. I just did. Can you go tell them to a look? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, are you serious? This is what I do for a living. So it was, it was this, so excuse the phrase, but the, this girl decided, well, I guess of a handful of them, but this one had uh, come up to the glass and smashed her boobs up against the glass and the DJs didn't see. So she wanted her free tickets <laughs> to, to whatever the concert was in Denver for the weekend. <sighs> and it was my, you know, call it job to walk down and say, hey guys, <laughs> Sally Sue's out there. She'd like for you to take a peek. I'm going to go back to writing my proposal Aaron, to go sell some ads. So Aaron. that, yeah, that was definitely a low moment. So <laughs> oh, God bless her soul, wherever she is. Uh, I hope she had a great time uh, at the yeah, concert. I hope, she, I hope she made it to the concert. So take me there in your soul at that moment where mm. you go, okay, th- this isn't college yahoos. This is, I have a wife. Yeah. A couple of kids, three kids, three kids. Yeah. Life is messy. Two, yeah, it's a Saturday morning. And what are you thinking? What, what, what's going through your mind these days? Yeah, I think in those years, what I loved so much about being in radio and marketing was that it was this place where ideas mattered. And so, you know, on the one hand, if you approach and you're just selling 30 second radio ads, that's one thing. And that isn't, wasn't very life-giving. I didn't love that part. But what I loved is that ideas won. And so I remember I had this one liquor store client and it's like, how do you, you can't really make a liquor store cool. It's just a liquor Mm. store. Now it was a big box liquor store and it was cheaper than other guys. But I had this idea to take a friend of mine would play on his guitar, the Tombow Debt Motel 6. Yes. We'll leave the light on for you. Little lick. And so I went to this liquor store and I said, I have an idea. I think I, I think I know what we should do. I think we should rip off Tom Bodette's Motel 6 ad. I've got my friend, he can lay down the guitar track and I've got a guy that sounds like one of the DJs. We can pay him to voice this commercial and we'll make it about, we'll leave the light on for you at the liquor store and we'll make this whole campaign out of it. And so he was like, do it, let's do it. So I bet we ran that thing for, I don't know, a couple, two years or Mm so. And, you know, nominated for some awards and different things and uh, even made it as far as um, Tom Bodet's agent sending a cease and desist letter. Oh, come on. Yeah. Fabulous. Thou shall not anymore. And, but those are the things that it was like, this matters. Yes. Like ideas, creativity, you know, just tr- going for it, trying something new. It makes a difference. And, and if you're willing to do that, even though it might come with some goofy stories, trying to use the latitude that I had to go out and like play with this creative canvas that I could do stuff with. Yes, right. And that was the canvas you had, right? You didn't get to choose. This ends with me bringing some money home to keep the family afloat. So I got a liquor store, a mission for them to make money. Free CDs and pizzas on Saturdays. That's it. Great. We're putting in a new yard. This will help pay for it. Mm. Yeah. In the, in the theme of then and now, Aaron, what I so appreciate about it is back then you chose to do something. You, you did what was in your power. Mm. 
to act. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's a liquor store and it's a little riff and cease and desist. Yeah. But you did something. And what I love is looking over your life over those two decades is it's amazing and kind of the laws of the universe and the way things work is zeros get added to equations for better and for worse in time. There's compounding, right? It's the nature. It's what Warren Buffett says about investment. He says, there actually is no magic. It's simply consistent investment over time in something with moderate gains yields exponential outcomes, right? It's the law of investing. And you don't have to read any books to figure that out. Like that, that's it. That's how it works. He's been doing it for eight decades now, Mm -hmm. right? And so one of the stories that comes to my mind is you doing baby wipe showers in the parking lot at your work because they don't have a shower and you need to run and you didn't fit. You didn't fit in that world, but it was a place, a playground for these big ideas, Uh but it was a rub, right? I mean, Uh take me to baby wipes and showers. Yeah. It was probably that same era when little kids at home. So I called it my first shift. You you wake up in the morning and you got breakfast and diapers and kids, you know, to kindergarten and me out the door to work. And then I'd come home and I've always been active physically. And so whether it was in the mountains or it was turned out to be race courses and triathlons and different things, I always tried to find time during the week to get in workouts. And at the time I wasn't doing it in the mornings. And so I was attempt to do it on the way home and it just always blew up, you know, something late for work or traffic or we had some dinner thing or the kids needed something. And so my wife wanted me home. So what I learned was I could, especially in a sales job, when you're out in the territory Mm -hmm. driving around, um, visiting clients, it was easier for me to pull over and find a trailhead and go for a 20 minute run or a 45 minute run without a shower to go back to. Yes. So I would, I'd start taking, <laughs> I think I called it the Marine shower. Somebody told me it was a, basically a stick of deodorant, some toothpaste and some baby wipes. Yeah. I later progressed. Then I would carry around a jug, one gallon jug of water in my car So good. and a towel. And then I just stand on it naked, you know, kind of park between my two doors <laughs> in a trailhead parking lot. And uh, douse myself yes. and rub off all the grime and throw my suit back on. Because back then it was actually a suit and tie, four, four days a week, casual Fridays. But yeah, it was. Those big ideas got started to be tested of like, hey, time out. Like versus abandoning, I, I'm just going to abandon running. Yes. Because my career and life are in full tilt right now. And instead, it's like, that's crazy. Why, why would I do that? Because yes. that that's not good for anybody. Yes. And then I get frustrated and it was a way, especially for me to cope with a lot of the stress of my life is to have a healthy place to download it and offload it. And then I wasn't bringing that home and I wasn't bringing it back to my career. And then as you and I would giggle, you know, I I always had this, like what I just call a shit eating grin on my face, you know, later in the afternoon, because I'd be in some meeting with some whatever, bar owner and I'd just be giggling inside like, you know, this is a really crummy meeting and I can't wait to leave. But if you only knew what I just came from. Yes. And those were the things that just made me feel like 
and it was silly in some ways, but like the man can't keep me down. Right. You know? Right. He doesn't have one over on me. I got one over on him today. Right. It was the germinating of fire your boss, yeah. but in a real mythic way. The boss wasn't just the president of the company. The boss is that thing that feels like it has you as a slave. Yeah. It makes you feel like you're stuck and yeah. powerless yeah. versus empowered and, you know, all kinds of latitude of choice. It actually exists if I would just step forward and take it. So those were very much the, as you said, the training grounds of these bigger ideas now that I get to write and podcast about. Aaron, I want to run with that idea for a moment. The contrast between stuck and powerless with the idea of you are actually empowered to do something and affect change. I was reflecting on your life and the journey of work-life play and the germinating of it over these two decades. And one of the central themes that I would say of this kind of transformation I've observed in you is from a predominant energy back in those early days of being mostly stuck, right? Mostly a victim mentality of I'm powerless. It's all about the circumstances, the guy. If I could only change this, then my life would be better. A true long and steady transformation to you are the one of the most empowered people I know. Mm. In other words, a person who chooses life mm. and your circumstances haven't changed a lot. I want to just name that because it'd be different if you're sitting on a bunch of cash. You know, you sold three companies. Yeah, I won the lottery. Yeah, or like, yeah. you know, your, your kids are just smooth sailing. Like, circumstances haven't changed massively, mm -hmm. right? But I would say there's been this transition. So in the early days, it's standing on a towel, doing a shower with a jug of water, is these little victories. And now as I observe your life, both from a distance and intimately, because we do life together, you are architecting a life where the majors are the majors. And what I want to ask you about that is how did that shift happen from mostly victim, mostly stuck to, no, I actually have much autonomy. I have much control over shaping my daily. Yeah. I don't know. Thank you. Mm -hmm. First of all, I'm glad, glad that you, I'm grateful that you for 13 years have seen as a witness all of that. And I think what I love about just this moment for the podcast is for you listener that have been listening along for days, weeks, months, years, you know, these are stories I've not known how to get at, you know, real easily. So it's easier to get at them via this conversation with you than yes. it is for me to just to riff on them. And Morgan has been real encouraging over the last couple of years. He's like, man, listen, anything you can, I don't know if you remember telling me this, but like anything you can say about what it's really been like yes. is really helpful because if people meet you now, they're going to get the wrong impression, yep. essentially, and they're going to think you just have this kind of, this thing dialed in, yep. but not realizing what it has taken to architect and craft the place that I am. And I appreciate the way it might look. And I also appreciate moments like this to be able to say, hey, this has not been, this is, this is chosen. Yes. This is this a lot chosen. of- Well said this is a lot of intentionality to get to whatever that place is that I am today, which is a place of much greater gratitude and much more joy and experiencing my own life. And I would say the biggest difference and shift today is that I 
feel like I live my life more than I manage it. And it used to be I managed my life more than I lived it. So back in those early years, I think what was happening was my life was such a pressure cooker of intensity. And when our daughter Hadley was alive and it just felt like every single, because of her severe special needs, there was just every single minute felt accounted for by somebody Mm. all the time. And whether it was my family, it just always felt like there was more need than I could ever service. And my goal at the time in life was to attempt to service everybody's needs. So work needs, client needs, home needs, friend needs, family needs, kids needs. And then I would then find a sliver where my needs could fit in. And then later that became 530 in the morning and I'd go out with Ironman guys and train for Ironman. And, mm. But it was liberating because it was like, okay, well, I do have a choice. I yes. can get up, you know, leave the house at five and or be on a bike at 515 or whatever we, you know, we would start doing. So I think what happened was that I just slowly experimented mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. with these empowering shifts and attempts and try things on and they didn't all work. Mm-hmm. Later on in life, when I would go on business trips, like I was just in Chicago two weeks ago and I went in early and like left the house at three o'clock in the morning and then flew in for a meeting and then flew home like 1030 at night or something like that same day. And it used to be, I would just show up and say, what am I going to do? I got like an hour and a half meeting and I got to be here all stinking day. Well, then I would just start saying, well, what if I made it fun? And so I had this GoPro camera and I looked up on the way there. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I remember Ferris Bueller's day off is like shot in Chicago. And I think the untouchables was shot in Chicago. I'm going to run around with this GoPro camera and see if I can between taxis and, you know, jogging. (laughs) So I brought some clothes to jog around and I brought my suit and snap photos and just giggled and laughed. Like this is, when would I ever come to Chicago to go relive Ferris Bueller's day off? Well, I'm not, but right now I'm going to, because I have like six hours to kill between these business meetings. And I used to just sit at the airport or sit at Starbucks and answer email. Mm. And I just realized like, man, there's the endlessness of email or the endlessness of the appetite for the beast of work. It's never satisfied. And if I just end up constantly taking something out of the bank in my emotional tank and don't ever fill it back up, well, then this is just not going to go well. So I've learned to just try to approach things differently with whatever sliver is available to me yes, and maximize that sliver and not be so banged up and busted up if my whole life isn't as playful as I wish it was or as much adventures I wish I had, which is what it used to be like um, in the beginning of those 13 years. And whereas now today, I've found that this mastering the art of living of this idea of like, well, what if it's always... What if it's work, life, play, relationships, health, finances, intimacy, connection, joy, adventure, all the time? Mm. What if that's always the prevailing truth and that we're just, the offer is to tap into that and to find a way and a path in today with whatever you have today? Aaron, it's so good to hear that. One story we've talked about before that comes to mind as you're sharing, taking risks, and seeing how it matures over time and kind of some misfire and some you really find like, this is my mojo and this is actually some of my superpower and this is some of the uniqueness I bring. 
recently, when I say recently, like recently in the context of the last two decades of your work, you've matured into bringing what what you name so beautifully as a good amount of weird mm -hmm. into your workplace to say, this is just my jam. This is who I am. You know, I wear flip-flops and um, <laughs> this is who I am. And it has an effect. It's, it's actually what's most needed. So you talk about the art of living, like it bears fruit even in the workplace. It's not just in the, the off hours of the meeting. Yeah, true. Take me to the markers and your boss. Yeah. This friend of ours, John Dale and I met Carl Richards. He is this New York Times columnist, Financial Times. And his nickname, I guess, is called the Sketch Guy. He does these Sharpie marker mm -hmm. sketches. And so when I met him a couple of years ago, when John and I were out buying a motorcycle from him in Utah, which is a wild story, I, I started just kind of paying attention to his work. And I'm like, hey, you know, I, I do some of that stuff the Sharpie markers and mind maps and these different things in a very different expression. But I realized like I'm super apprehensive about sharing that or doing that and showing that because it's just like, it's weird. Yeah. You know, it's like, this is how I think, or this is how I see things or this is how I remember things or learn things. And after my burnout, I started realizing like, man, I got to live more true to me and stop attempting to emulate other people. Mm -hmm. And what if I just did the best version of me versus worry about how this sizes up or compares to others? And so I started dragging around this Sharpie marker kit. And one of the first expressions of it was I went to this meeting in Scottsdale, Arizona and was around the table with, I don't know, six or eight other folks. And they all had their little IBM ThinkPad computers, you know, opened up taking notes. And I'd had 15 of those over the years. And I pulled out my Sharpie marker kit <laughs> like a, in a zipper ziplock thing, like you would check in for TSA for your mouthwash and, and uh, deodorant. And then I pulled out my, I don't know, whatever it is, two foot by one foot sketch pad. <laughs> and I start just taking notes because that's what I would go do later. You know, that's how I would go back through my notes and kind of craft it or that's what my journal looks like. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm just tired of playing this game. You know, I'm going to do this. So Later that evening, a guy had actually gave me a, a kind of a knock and he's like, man, what is the deal with, who was the guy with the cartoons, you know, and the grade schooler, you know, bag of art supplies. And I said, yeah, that was me. And subsequently what had come of that though, is that as I've learned to just what I'd call just riff on paper and the Morgan does this intensive event every year for guys in their thirties. And so these guys end up telling their life story. Mm -hmm. And so I've been a facilitator at that for eight years and I would bring my sketch pad and markers. And as they would tell their story, I'd just write out, this is what I see, this is what I hear. And I'd give them kind of a takeaway, I call it like a map. Here's your map, you know, do with it what you please. So I started doing that in the work context too. And specifically had done it with my boss. And we were at breakfast one morning and he was kind of telling me some circumstances that he was attempting to navigate. And I said, hey, do you mind if I just, tell you what I think. Mm -hmm. And he said, sure. I said, unedited. Yep. Okay. Here you are. So I went through and just sketched out like, this is, here's three different pictures and mm -hmm. scenes of this is what you're saying. This is where you're at. This is the rub, you know, same thing. And so he was like, kind of take really taken back of, whoa, what, what, what's this? And so then he went on later and said, Hey, could you send that to me? So I flew back home and, you know, took a snapshots and made some notes and turned it into a document and sent it to him. 
And then periodically, every, let's say, four to six months or so, we'd have a conversation. He'd say, hey, it would really be helpful if we could have another one of those conversations. Mm-hmm. Could you bring your markers? <laughs> so it has become now a place of my good amount of weird. Yes. And realizing that I'm not trying to win art awards. Yes. But it is a way for me to communicate the insights and clarity and distilled stories that I hear and can highlight through that visual communication. Aaron, what I love about that is it began with a risk. It began with a hunch. It began with you exposing yourself mm, as the kid with the bag yeah, of markers, yeah. right? I feel like a goofy kid with totally. markers, yeah. And, and sometimes, frankly, like in risk-taking, it just doesn't work out. And so that's one of the victory stories, right, that now you're absolutely certain of and you feel sad for the guy without markers. But back then, it was a huge risk. Totally, yeah. In the category of risk, thinking about then and now, What else would you say is something that now you look back and you go, I wish I did risk, and I didn't, that you look at today's wisdom and you look back and say, here's a place where I played it safe, and if I could write my story again, here's what I would have done different. Yeah. I think most recently, when I started writing publicly, so my blog, I call field reports is when it started was really the intention was more of just to use it as a means to profile my work, to change careers. And so it was a way to what I call like a digital portfolio was what my intention was. And when I look back really, and I'd say this is even, it continues to grow in my confidence level of, Hey, I really have something here in writing and speaking. But early on, when I look back, like when I wrote Fire Your Boss as this manifesto, I'd just come out of Seth Godin's medicine ball workshop after a couple of days and spent some meaningful time with him. And he had endorsed my manifesto at the time. And when I look back and realize, man, less about income and where I derived income, but more about just believing in myself and just going for it, just swinging for the fence and saying, you know what? I'm going to do this. Mm. I'm going to call five places and say, I want to come speak. Seth Godin just endorsed my manifesto. You need to have me there. Mm. You know, I, to go and say, Hey, five publishers, you know, I just wrote this thing. If I were you, I'd publish, you know, just, just be a little bit more audacious. What I would have called audacious, Mm. because I think that I was just still just in my own head, just not there just not at a place of like, dude, this is badass and you should do this. Yes. But instead like, oh yeah, it's kind of nice. I guess it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's cool. I, yeah, I get it. But just not really, I wasn't at a place to architect my life. Yes. Around this experiment of weird. Yes. And fast forward now, five, six years later, seven years later, I'm way more willing to start architecting my life around my weird and see where it goes. So I don't know if it's wisdom that it's today yes. that I'm architecting my life more that way, or if I could have made it a lot further down the path I want to be on, yes. had I just been more willing to brave believing in myself sooner. To brave believing. Yeah. Aaron, what I hear you saying that's really critical, because I think it's a, it's a universal challenge 
in a lot of those days, you were your worst enemy. Oh, for sure. Right? Because we're all around. I'm thinking, oh man, what you need is a cheerleader. But actually, it's not true because I found myself, you know, shaking pom poms, yeah. wearing a mini skirt, like cheering you on <laughs> all totally, the time because totally, yeah. I'm going, this guy, like, He's unbelievable. And I would get my own work life play podcast on a bike, just me and you. Yeah, and you would, in. you know, you'd give me your sermon of the week and my tanks speeches, were full, right? right. Speeches, yeah. But you were your worst enemy. So yeah. it's important to name what if we actually recognize the tapes that are being played internally. Yep. Brene Brown talks about the tapes we yep. play. Absolutely. Right. And Seth talks about the lizard brain. Lizard brain, yeah. I and mean, what if we just name him? Yeah. And say, what if we were going to practice not listening to that voice and taking the audacious risk and finding that it's actually not that audacious at all? Perhaps it's just our new normal. Yeah, very much so. I've been listening the last couple of years to The War of Art on audio from Stephen Pressfield. And I started listening to it again. I'm very prone in my weak moments to, and even with this podcast, to the tapes that are not helpful that I do play and listen to are, this doesn't matter. Why am I kidding myself? This is sure a whole lot of effort for not a lot of gain. Even this 100,000 downloads, you know, on the one hand, I'm a yahooing. And on the other hand, I'm beating myself up that it took so freaking long. Mm -hmm. And so I realize it's a duality at times of, yep, you're right. I probably could have gotten here sooner, but I didn't. And so here I am. And so we're going to celebrate it. Yes. And I bet the next 100,000 will happen a lot faster. Yes. And I appreciate too, like just in business that it's it's just hard. Starting something new from nothing is hard. It is hard. It is work. And the amount of blood, sweat, tears, passion, self-talk, old tapes, money, effort, energy, exposure, vulnerability that you have to go through to literally turn something on from nothing to where I am today, it's hard. It has been hard. Yes. Now, it is one of the greatest pleasures of my entire life. And if I needed to do it for free for the rest of my life, and that was one of the questions that Seth Godin asked years ago, was if no one on the planet was here, and if you never got paid a dollar, would you still do it? Mm. And I'm like, yes, I would. I would absolutely, I'm compelled. So I'm compelled to do what I do. And it's sheer joy that it benefits other people. Now I do it because I want it to matter, but I'm also doing it because for so long I lived with this art and weird inside of me that I didn't have an expression for. And so yes. I lived with some, some sort of discomfort or torment from being stuck yes, because it was in me. And so what finally what I learned was that I can't affect outcomes, but I do have a choice about what I do with what's inside of me. Mm. So I'm going to extract the art and go through the painstaking process of extracting it, making it available in the world. And then from there, like David Wilcox, when I interviewed him, he's like, it's a, like a flock of birds. You just have to release them. Mm. And wherever they go, they go. And whoever they visit, they visit. And you hope that it's all for good. But once you've birthed it and release it, you have to let go of it because you're really not in control of that flock of birds anymore. So just realizing, oh, you mean this is normal? This is normal to experience all these things in this process of extracting art. 
Yep, it's totally normal. Mm. So good. Aaron, I so appreciate the insights. So appreciate the conversation. Speaking of conversation, I want to go back to a conversation we had recently. And in that conversation, you had some really fascinating insights on some specifics where you said to me, Snyder, you know what I actually do for a living with my time? And you described it. And I'd love for you to actually describe that because we often think of the big ideas of how we're affecting change or what our goals are, what we're trying to accomplish. But in this whole idea of mastering the art of living and having more harmony and more integration with the parts of our life, it's sometimes important just to pause and say, what is it that we do? And is it okay? So I think in that conversation, what I was probably referring to is looking at my work. So at age 45, which is even sounds odd to say, because I still think I'm 28, but looking at the work that I've done in these different seasons and so working in marketing and advertising and selling radio ads and then TV ads. And then I worked for a software company early on that was startup and we had slushy machines and it was wild to spend in other people's money, venture capital money. And uh, you know, whole idea was, you can outpace the need for revenue by just having some wild ass idea that people mm. will, mm. you know, follow kind of like, you know, Twitters and social media kind of stuff too. And then moving into being in more corporate companies, you know, global software companies and spending time with, working with clients on, it was really for the last 12, 13 years, going, going 13 years on fuel pricing, gasoline mm-hmm. pricing software helping convenience stores and oil companies make more money. Yeah. And, and, and at this point now, you're a big deal though. I just want to say in the corporate world, yeah. you've got a big title, yeah. big office, and you're a big deal on paper. Yeah. Yeah. On paper. On, and fair enough. Yeah. So at, at one point in my big deal, I was a executive vice president of sales for the Americas and ran marketing as well and ran 60% of the company's revenue and yeah, rang in the opening day trading bell in London Stock Exchange. So I felt like from a career objective standpoint, you know, stock options and all those kinds of things, I was able to realize those. And what's important, I think, maybe for me about that is that where that came from was 713 Ridgeway, Columbia, Missouri was the address that we lived at when I was on food stamps and was on the free lunch program Mm. with and I was the oldest of three. I am the oldest of three. And my mom was a single mom and we didn't have lunch money. So when you go through the line and say, free lunch, my name's Aaron McHugh, it just became a powerful motivator to say, I'm not doing that. So I feel like I've kind of taken that pretty far. And now I realize my brother uses the phrase of, my, are you running towards something or are you running away from something? And I think really for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm genuinely running towards Mm. things. Mm. And for a lot of years, you know, I've been running away from things. So going back to the actually, what have I done? Well, I think where that conversation came from and what I was actually doing on a daily basis is I realized, you know what? I'm just not interested in spending lots of time sitting around a table Mm -hmm. in gridlock. Mm. Like it basically felt like, a lot of inside the company walls when you work at an organization. 
so much of it is about making the machine run. Yes. And whether it's a you know great machine, great place to work, you know, not a great place to work, it's still a machine. Yep. And that machine takes energy, people, time, resources. And what I realize for me now after going to work in an office for 20 some odd years is I realize, you know what, I just don't enjoy making the machine work, being a part of that machine. I actually prefer to be outside of the machine and work with different machines to yes. help them help their machine run better. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be there on a daily basis, any given Tuesday or any given, you know, Saturday evening, return an email for that machine. Because what I just find is that my highest value, and I've been reading the book Essentialism Mm -hmm. repeatedly and going back to it, of this idea of what's my highest contribution, my highest value I can bring. And I think it's more distilled insights and helping people interpret what's happening and helping people develop a map for what to do differently. But then actually help people empower them on how they can take that map and those insights to help their machine run better. Yes. But somebody else is going to be better at being there every single Tuesday Mm. and every single Friday and every single Wednesday. And for me, I like variety a lot more than I like just the grind of seeing that thing through. And that's where even my career in sales is kind of sunsetted of I can be in charge and I can sell stuff and we can, I could do all that. Yes. But I'm just kind of done with all that. Yep. I just am, I've learned a lot, grateful for it and am looking forward to expending my energy on a daily basis in a different direction. Yep. Well, and what, one of the things I want to reflect back because there are listeners of all different ages that are in the business world, you've put your time in. Yeah. Right. You you are in your mid forties and you have put your time in. And so I just want to say in all humility, as we've learned, there's no shortcuts. And yeah. so if there are listeners that are in their mid twenties, part of me wants to say, and that doesn't apply to you. <laughs> right? right. In all humility, I want to say, yeah. you know, it does take a lot of crap to make good soil. Mm-hmm. And there's something about putting the time in of the slow and steady, especially in a world that promises mm-hmm. instant everything, right? Mm-hmm. Instant results, instant profit, instant coffee. Mm-hmm. And so you now have gained a privilege where you can say, I've put my time in sales, I've made the money, I've learned, I've served, and now I have more discretion. And that's not what I I want to choose to do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to name because we're all looking, scheming for some shortcut. And this podcast, unlike many others, actually doesn't offer a shortcut. True. I, I think I could probably have more listeners. <laughs> you sure could. You get to 200,000 a lot quicker if I didn't uh, yeah, say that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Morgan and I talk about this a lot is just realizing, man, you know what? if we would just use the word selling with you become good soil in your podcasts and your work and me with work-life play here, what's ironic is that neither of us sell shortcuts. And what I mean by that is tips and techniques, tips and techniques that have guaranteed outcomes or have high probability of outcomes. And Morgan and I, I would say are practitioners of those things in our life. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if there is things that we can do that, 
to let's take four hour work week is it's not my top 10 favorite books, but it's one of my favorite books. Yes. And some of the reason why is because Tim Ferriss was just so provocative of, you know what you can do? You can go to Bolivia and take tango lessons and get your virtual assistant to hmm. return your email for you. And what I love about that is it's true. I have had a virtual assistant now since I read for our work week six or eight years ago. And that tip and technique has been phenomenal in terms of an ROI for my life. But what I like to talk about, what makes me excited, and Morgan, for you, is we like to talk about kind of, I just call it the longer game. Yes. I like talking about like, no, what's the long haul plan here? And along the way, definitely go find some tips and technique folks, because I listen to them too. Amy Potterfield is a podcast I listen to some. I listen to Donald Miller's podcast. I listen to Michael Hyatt's podcast and, and in different seasons. But where I spend most of my podcast time is with Morgan's Become Good Soil or with Rob Bell's um, Robcast. And both of those are more longer game. Those are more like, hey, what? where is this thing headed? Yes. What are we intending to be up to? Yes. What's the narrative story? What's the mythic theme? What's the higher truth? What's the... So I view that with the work that I've been doing with work-life play is even when like I've got four destination trip reports, things that I've got on my list to work on. One of them's for Boulder, Colorado. One of them's for San Francisco. One of them's for Highway 1 in California. And then this little Chicago Ferris Bueller day. And I realized like, I'm going to publish these. And to me, it's like have my own outside magazine. Yes. It's like, I look up outside magazine and their trip files and like how they write them. And so I kind of borrow from some of their ideas, but really the higher truth, the reason that I'm publishing a field report on why boulders killer for a day is because I want you to have eyes to see that something is killer in your life. Yes. That it's not, go to Boulder or don't, I don't care. If you do go to Boulder, I got some great recommendations for you. But deeper than that, the longer game is, hey, this thing's really cool. Yes. Life is full of fun and adventure and curiosity and play and connection and quirky, weird stuff you could go find in your own backyard. And so I'm just trying to model for that idea, the bigger, higher truth. The longer game is life's supposed to be fun. I know it's a bunch of work and there's a bunch of hardship and I am, I could be the poster child for those. Mm. But what's the higher truth beyond that is that it's also really killer Mm. and it can be really magical and it can be really fun and playful and can be a life you want to show up to. And you actually wake up like this morning I did coming over here to meet with Morgan. I was like, Oh, I get to, can you believe I get to do this today? And I just think that that's the, our game that we're playing in is inviting people into these things that we see that we think are really worth being part of, but aren't necessarily on the everyday advertised list of the way to live life. Yes. I think that it was Morgan, you call them, it's the narrow road and few find it. But guys like you and I love being guides Mm. to help and pioneers to help other people see what we see, as well as share our failures and bumbles and failed experiments, because that's part of it. 
but being gracious to yourself and just saying, yeah, so what? So this one didn't work out. Wasn't that great? Yes. But it doesn't mean that that's a foobar plan. It just means that that was a failed mission. Mm. Aaron, as you're sharing, one of the ideas that's coming to me that is often some of the very most important things, the most important realities go unsaid. They go unsaid. And so I just want to reflect back. Yes, Tim Ferriss. Yes, the four-hour work week. Yes, you got a virtual assistant. Yes, that tip and technique helped you immensely. Mm -hmm. But it helped you because over time, you have become the kind of person that can steward something great. And therefore, that tip and technique Mm -hmm. is helping you exponentially Mm -hmm. steward something great. The problem is if we don't get to the kind of person we're becoming, all we do is multiply our crap, multiply our brokenness, right? Multiply that thing we do. I I remember I went through, I had many assistants and one time my assistant moved out of town and and I just had this intuition of don't hire another assistant. I think you were telling me that Rob Bell story of, you know, he he, he have downsized one. things, right? He doesn't have one. So if he has packages to mail, he has to mail his packages. the UPS store, yeah. And what struck me was my assistant was allowing me no, to multiply mm. everything. Mm. Multiply for better and multiply for worse. True. And so by pruning, I'll use the word kind of my domain, mm. by pruning my area of responsibility, it caused me to really ask, what kind of person am I becoming, right? And so, yes, there are tips, techniques. Yes, there are tactics of how to do things well. But ultimately, what I want to say is in reading Fire Your Boss, the unsaid had the most impact on me Mm. that you became the kind of person Mm. that no longer was bringing your question, your validation, your self-worth to your boss Mm. to answer, right? So rather than leading with, I have this big question in my soul, that question began to have resolution. And now you're bringing a strength and you're bringing an answer and it's kind of take it or leave it in humility and in strength. So I want to just name, there's this wonderful balance in the art of living that you're modeling for us. And one is best practices. There's no doubt there's best practices and it requires becoming the kind of person that can steward the charge. Yeah, very true. And I think that's a well, if you haven't listened to Become Good Soil, you'll hear a lot of that, of becoming the kind of person. So Morgan has this quote on his water bottle across the table here from me. It's um, from Dallas Willard. The most important thing about a man is not what he does, but it's who he becomes. And that's the long game. Yes. Is I believe wholeheartedly with every part of my being that who we become matters. Hmm. And what we do is less important. And I believe when we become the kind of person that has something meaningful to say or offer or live into, And when we become wholehearted and integrated in our whole life and we are showing up in our life, which means showing up with the people that are in our life, with the work that's in front of us. And sometimes the work that's in front of us is handing out pizza slices and and working bar remotes on a Friday night. That was the work that was in front of me. And that was the work that was providing for my family. Man, I'm super grateful for it. Mm -hmm. But what it also means too is to be able to have a vision for your life 
to say, hold on, time out. This is what I'm doing right now. This is what's required of me right now in this season, or this is the circumstances I'm finding myself in. That's okay. That's honorable. I remember a good friend of ours in Hawaii, you know, we were on the beach and he was showing me the kind of landscaping, natural landscaping that the hotel was caring for. And there was some local Polynesians that were, were doing the work, the Hawaiians. And he was saying that is honorable work. It's honorable work to make that look good. Yes. Every Monday, every Tuesday, every Thursday, every Friday, every Wednesday. That's honorable. And there's some of work that is just honorable doing the work. And I think what happens is that then as I learned to embrace those things, that I could turn what I was doing, no matter what I was doing it, into an honorable expenditure of my energy, even if it wasn't saving the world. It wasn't like this thing I was so stoked about Mm -hmm. doing but I could make it honorable that those are the things over time that as we talk about this long game are becoming the kind of person who can have impact and meaning. Mm-hmm. And some of where I think for you and I, the tips and techniques approach is difficult for us to stomach or stay with for a long time is a lot of times I think that those tips and techniques are true, but they happen to be delivered by people who don't appear to have a lot of substance or meaning. Mm. So I have a difficult time being a student, to use a phrase that you and I would use, to be students underneath people yes. who might have a great path to tips and techniques, but I don't really know they've become the kind of person that how they do what they do is a way I would want to do it. Yes. So I have to go find a different teacher. Right. Is really what it comes down to. Well, and maybe another way of saying it that we've talked about is someone has a tremendous gifting, a tremendous talent, but they've not yet developed the kind of character where they can steward that in love or steward that on behalf of a community on behalf of a mission for its own sake, rather than just using it in self-serving ways. self-promotion, right, yeah. Yeah. So I like guides. Morgan and I like guides more than people that are beating on their chest and saying, be like me. So hopefully from me, from Morgan, you you won't hear, be like me, be like me. It's more like, no, hey, this is what I found. Yes. Try it on for size. You decide if it's good for you. And really that intention of being a guide and offering what we've seen versus a personality. Yeah you know, that we're attempting to promote. Yes. In the spirit of being a guide, Aaron, first of all, you've served really well and heroically. You've served courageously. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes. What would you love the effect of work-life play? Which is to say, what would you love the effect of your life to be on a person. Hmm. Yeah, I think about this quite a bit. I can't remember when it was first asked, but someone had asked me, who's your target audience? Who, who's your listener? Mm-hmm. Who's your, who are you speaking to? And then another Seth Godin thing that I went to, he talked about, and what's the effect? Who, who are your people? Mm-hmm. And what, do you ho- what effect do you hope to have? And I've learned, at first I thought of it as me, like my 35 to 45 year old self. And I'm like, okay, it's this guy. He works at this kind of place. He has sits in, you know, 25 F, you know, on United <laughs> airlines coming back from Chicago. And that's true. And that is, there, there's a part of that that's very true. And then I'm also what I'm learning. And I've really appreciated this a lot. It's become a surprise to me is there's a lot more women 
listening mm. than I, I would have thought or known. Interesting. And what I've loved is I've heard their stories is like really cool things. Like one gal had sent me an email and said, hey, I just um, went through this career change thing and I started rethinking my work mm-hmm. and this victim mentality that I was living under. And so I threw a pair of running shoes in the back of my car. And now when traffic gets too bad, I pull over and go for a walk, you know, on my commute on the way home. And like you mentioned earlier of that's the tip or the technique. Yes. But the reason that the higher truth is the longer game story is what if when you got home, you were happy? Mm. What if when you got home, you weren't white knuckled and that when you got home to then be with your husband and your kids and your friends and your neighbors and your community, you were actually a little bit lighter Mm. and a little bit more like the zeal for your life wasn't sucked away by a 45 minute commute. Mm. Now it still sucks, but there's a beauty of how we can begin to, through this art of mastery to gain back, you know, this ability to architect what you're doing. And then there's a couple particular guys that listen that I consider to be my fellas. And one of them, he and I, shout out to Brian, he sends me text messages or emails of a picture of what row he's sitting in on the airplane. Mm. And I wrote a post once about never gaining elite status on any airline. And the longer game story I was telling is it's actually BS compensation from United Airlines that I get premier status because actually it's fine. I like the better seat, but the higher truth is that just means I spent a hundred days away from home. Mm. And so what if part of this whole flubbed up thing is I actually get rewarded in the wrong way. Now, some of it you can't avoid. And mm-hmm. I've had premier status for lots of years and I'm happy to have it. But I started playing a game one year where I was like, I'm going to fly on different airlines enough where I don't accumulate benefits for any one of them. Yes. And I'm going to spread it out so that I'm actually low man in the totem pole because I can't deal with the reality that I'm gone 87 nights a year or 110. So it was just like probably a bad experiment. I probably should just take in the United Premier status and just enjoyed my better seat. But I was experimenting with what if. And then I have another buddy. And so this shout out to Brian. Brian's been experimenting with what if, what if I sat in 26 F and what if I didn't gain premier status? And, and then this other buddy of mine that in both guys I've, I've gotten to know through the result of the podcast, Chad spends a lot of time in board meetings and earnings releases and just asking the question, you know, how's it going? Yes. How can it be life giving or how can you engage it in a way that's, you're proud of yourself. How can the matrix system that exists not be one that you fully participate in? How can you just kind of barely eke out of these little corners and edges without, with still being in the game, Mm. but just starting to play the game a little bit differently in a way that would bring you more life Mm. and you'd be more engaged. And so I say all these things because that's what I live with. So he and I will trade texts when we're in a similar environmental circumstance and swap stories about what we're experiencing because we're both after the same thing. Yes. Which is 
hey, this is the work that we're doing. This is what's in front of us. And some of it isn't entirely Mm life-giving. But what if we turned and basically changed the rules? Yes. What if we first break all the rules Mm. and figure out, because you know how the game works, how to play the game so that it doesn't appear you're breaking the rules, but you subtly begin to break them. Yes. Like I went for a 12-minute run this summer. I was at a business meeting that I went to and everybody stayed inside for the working lunch, you know, the brown bag lunch, they bring in turkey sandwiches. And I just said, Hey, great. Break for lunch. Yep. Okay, great. I'll see you guys in like 36 minutes. So I ran downstairs, went next door, went over, got my running shoes on, went outside, went for a run, ran the mall, came back inside, showered, came back crossed. And I was like four or five minutes late. So that part wasn't good. (laughs) But the rest of it, I was watching everybody. I'm like, I cannot believe everybody just sat here for 45 minutes or whatever it was, pretending that the rest of the afternoon is going to go so great. We're going to be so engaged. There's going to be great productive conversations. We're going to solve world problems where all y'all could have just left. Mm -hmm. You could have got some exercises. You could have taken a nap. You could have called home. You could have done anything other than just sat and stared at each other and chewed on your turkey sandwich. Mm. And so those are the people that I'm hoping that the effect will be the longer game Yes, is that you show up to your life and you show up to it and you begin to question what part of our life has been put on us and we've accepted it. Yes. And which part of it's working great and it's fine and which part of it's not and which part of it's worth challenging and becoming a heretic is what it feels like mm-hmm. and questioning the common mantras that everybody else just chokes down as normal, but they don't love it. Mm. If 75% or 78% of the workforce, according to Gallup polls, is disengaged, don't like what they do every day. Well, to me, a lot of it's because the machine is just too active in everybody just being part of the herd. Mm. So I'm hoping that the effect would be in a very respectful and honorable way but a very self-respecting way, people would begin to just take another look and take a swing and try a few things that are different that maybe produce more life for you. And it may not be the version your neighbor wants. Mm. That's okay. Or the version that you know you thought you should have. But it's important to pay attention to become a student of yourself, to know yourself well enough to what brings you life. Mm-hmm. And then spend some time on that. Yes. Because you and I wholeheartedly getting after our life, showing up to our life is actually what everybody wants from us. Mm. It's what we want. It's what the benefit to us being wholehearted is so much greater than us just behaving well. Mm. It's so good. It's important to reflect back because we've done life for years together. And I've been a listener and a recipient of work-life play. It's important to name in the early years you often chose to play when you didn't feel like playing. Is that mm, fair to say absolutely. that? Yeah, yeah. Right? Because it's the act where you choose to risk doing something that you know to be good, even though you don't feel totally. like it. Right? I remember in early years, ultimately, you, you made that conviction of ultimately you just sacrifice sleep, right? If you want a little bit of life yeah. and you want to put something yeah. in you, like you said, <laughs> managing tank, yeah. life, you just sacrifice sleep. And I remember hearing you say that and, and there was just a sadness in my soul going, I know we're peers in this and I know we're just neck and neck, but something in me says that's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that piece wasn't. Mm-hmm. And now you actually 
I don't sacrifice sleep most of the time, yeah, right? Totally. So you chose to play. The first time you went to Hawaii, mm. you know, the observation of one of our mentors out there that that hosted us was, man, that guy's got some knots in his rope, like more than <laughs> most people that come out here. Totally. And here you are, the first guy up on a paddleboard, the first guy trying to surf, uh-huh. throwing your intensity in play. Yeah. And he's saying, whoa, Tiger. Try easy. Try easy. What's that? What is that? Uh So I want to say in compassion to our friends out there, it doesn't always feel Mm -hmm. like play. It doesn't at all Mm. at first. Yeah, that's very true. And the, these things we're talking about now are decades, you know, decade plus into experimentation on things that you believe to be the higher truth. Yes. And you try those on to see which ones work for you. And expect that it won't all go well. But that part of architecting your life is experimentation and building prototypes and trying new things and being a student and finding out what works for you. And I think the key to that is most people are not dissatisfied with what they're doing in life. It's usually how they're doing it. Mm. Say that again. Yeah, most people in their life are not dissatisfied with what they're doing. You know, they like where they live. They're happy with who they married. They, they like their job or that, you know, where they're working. Their kids, you know, they're enjoying. Their friendships they're enjoying. But on a daily micro level, how they navigate their life is usually where the discontent comes from. And so then that discontent of, man, you know, yeah, I like my job, but I got an email from a guy this summer, you know, Hey, I just spent my second working vacation answering email the entire time. This is not sustainable. So he didn't say, I hate my job. I hate my boss or I hate, he just said, this is not working how I'm doing this. And I feel trapped. Hmm. And so whether it's the commute or whether it's, you know, the relationships, like I found that one of the keys to relationships was you actually have to spend time on them. Mm. <laughs> what an inconvenience. Especially in this world. Right. You actually have to account for investment of your time and attention in a intentional way. Not just, hey, we have it on the calendar for half an hour to have a meeting about the kids. No, actually spend time together. That was an inconvenience to me because I just wanted to fit it in. But I found that if I wanted fruit, I had to partition my life out. I had to architect it in a way. And I'm still doing it right now working on this living forward book I'm reading right now on how to live forward with purpose. But I think all of it is how we navigate our life is a lot of the challenge. Mm. Aaron, this is a celebration as we started the podcast of a milestone of a hundred thousand and it's a milestone of then and now. Mm. And what's intriguing is the irony of it's a milestone in your career today. Little did we know that today, our time we allotted for this recording would mark a transition for you. And I am jumping up and down with joy as the outsider <laughs> on this transition right. because I see you, right? I don't have the lizard brain, uh-huh. right? I don't have this. I don't have your tapes running in my head. But, I'll loan them out for you if you want. Yeah, there you go. No, I have plenty of my own. Uh-huh. But today's a promotion for you. Today's a promotion in the maturation of your life. Mm -hmm. And today is a promotion and a Yahoo, not because of 100,000 downloads, but because you are launching into a new season. But the irony is what 
we would call promotion, the world would call being let go. Mm -hmm. That technically Mm -hmm. today Mm -hmm. is the official day that you are let go Mm -hmm. of your day job. Mm -hmm. And technically, as of today, you have no idea professionally what's coming next. So I have Aaron McHugh on the Work Life Play <laughs> podcast recording on the day of his promotion yeah. slash letting go and with no visibility in detail and certainty of what's ahead. Mm-hmm. Take me there. Where are you? What are you feeling? Mm-hmm. What's going on inside as it relates to what's going on outside? Yeah. Well, my friends, the listeners, what that means is I have been working my day job and been there almost four and a half years. And there were some company changes that were happening. And I was given an option of doing some other things there within the company. And I just gratefully and graciously just said, you know, that's okay. Thank you. But I think it's just time for me to go do something else. And so we have a very perfect, wonderful, you know, gentlemen's parting and I'm taking care of some things for them and they've been taking great care of me. But it is concluding today. Today is my official last day of employment with this company and then subsequently this career I've been at for 13 years in the convenience retail fuel gasoline world. This kind of weird thing that probably most of you don't even know that's what I've been (laughs) doing. But where I'm at today is when I look at themes I can see a theme in my life where when I see this distant, far off thing that I know to be true, that I reach a place where I can't any longer ignore that there's a gap between my actions and my beliefs, my behaviors and my beliefs. And so what's happened now is in this work-life play journey that I play out publicly with you guys here is I've just reached a place where I realize that what I want to do every day with the energy that I have called work is I want to expend it in a direction that makes people's lives better. And what that looks like is I realize I have experience, I have gifting skill set talents, and I have this core belief that my job is to make the world a better place. Mm. And I can't shake that. And so I've always made that kind of the sideshow of the work that I do. Mm-hmm. So whether it's selling radio ads or handing out pizza or doing software installations in some corporation high tower, I've always attempted to make the work that I do meaningful in the lives of people that I work with. But it's always a sideshow. Mm-hmm. And I've grown more and more discontent with it being a sideshow. And if the main theme was always sell this deal, close this deal, install this software, run this ad, that's been great. But for the next chapter of my life and my career, I want to make my career about making people's lives better. Mm. And I don't mean that in a flowery way. I mean it in a very practical sense of, so the interesting thing is I have probably once a week right now. I have inquiries coming into my inbox about, hey, do you want to come run the sales thing Mm -hmm. for us? Do you want to come do this marketing thing for us? So right now, I'm purposely kind of holding off on some of those to just see if there's a way in this life experiment can I actually align the work I do every day with the heart that I have Mm -hmm. and and what I believe. 
And that feels risky. Yes. Because the safer thing is just go ahead and grab something in my areas of expertise and figure out how to predict the future by controlling an outcome. But I've come too far down this path to just go get a thing because I can do that. Mm -hmm. If in two months or four months or six months or eight months, I need to go do that, I'll go do that. But I'd like to run a little bit of a life experiment because earlier you asked me, when was I not taking the risks? Yes. I can't live with myself if I don't bet my life on what I believe. And so I'm at a place where I'm, I think it's time. Mm. I think it's time to believe that where I am today is where I'm supposed to be. Yes. And that if I continue to play it safe in my career and income and provision for our family, then that means I will, I will be not honoring myself Mm. and I can't live with that. Mm. So I'm, launching into no man's land, Mm. believing that what I see on the horizon is worth going after. Aaron, it is on time and you're on time for it. Friends, if you enjoyed Aaron's wisdom and his thoughts on life well-lived and discovering meaning and purpose, I think you're really going to enjoy his first book. It's called Fire Your Boss, Discovering Work You Love Without Quitting Your Job. Aaron's been through several versions of this book over several years, and it began as a, as a self-published work, and now it's matured and grown to a full-published work that is um, very reflective of the process that Aaron has gone through in these decades of refining and growing and maturing and becoming the kind of man, the kind of king to whom God can gladly entrust more and more of his kingdom. It's a very provocative book, a winsome book, a book that really dives deep into identity and motive and a way of finding a way where there feels like there is no way. And so if you want to explore more, learn from Aaron and wrestle with how the kingdom life intersects with vocation and work and um, all the expressions that ourselves take when we engage in culture and the process of the economic world in which we live, I think you'll really enjoy this book friends, we stand with you. We stand as one man contending for life. And God, we look to you for life. We choose to risk believing, God, that in you is life. And your life is intended to be the light of mankind. And so God, in that risk, I'm asking that today you would shine your light in our lives, that you would cultivate our curiosity about who you are, about what you are doing, and how you are doing it. And I do pray your favor and anointing over this book, that the kingdom threads woven into these words would seed the world, would help recover hearts, recover life, recover 
intact relationship, recover integrity in people, in workplaces, and in our world. And most of all, would recover joy, the joy that we so deeply need, even more so in this hour. We receive you, God, more of you, more of your life, more of your heart, more of your personality, and more of your care into more and more of us. Amen.